Amen. Turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. What a joy it is to gather with you today on the Lord's Day to see the beauty of Jesus and the songs that we've sung and the prayers that we've prayed and and even in the act of baptism we celebrate with these uh, three uh, followers of Jesus today who've publicly made their faith known. And so I'm excited to be preaching God's Word for us today. We're in a series through the Gospel of Luke called Jesus Period. Uh, And since it's such a long series, we're breaking it up into smaller series. And this one is called The Friend of Sinners. And as I read our passage today, you'll see why we've called it The Friend of Sinners. I'm excited for this passage today because it's going to be about doubting Jesus. That's the title of this series or the sermon. And I know that none of us doubt Jesus ever here today. I'm just kidding. I know we go through seasons or moments of doubt, and so I'm thankful for God's Word that's going to help us as we think about doubting Christ. But this is the Word of God, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us today, God? As we've come to your word and 
We know that in moments of weakness and seasons of weakness, we often doubt. So, Lord, would you remind us of your love? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your word that we may have faith? And, Lord Jesus, would you help us? Lord, we believe. Would you help our unbelief? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever doubt Jesus? Do you, do you ever doubt Jesus? I remember a few years ago sitting at my kitchen table with my family. We had just prayed uh, to thank God for the food that we were about to eat. And after we said amen, one of my boys said to me, Is God real? And I said, Of course God is real. We just prayed to God. What do you mean, is God real? And then my son said to me, Then why can't we see him. Now, I'm a pastor, and I've got all the right answers. So I say, well, of course, God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. Of course, there's lots of things in this world that we can't see. We can't see love, and we believe in that, right? Those are the kind of normal answers that you give to someone who's asking, is God real, and why can't we see him? But in that moment, when he asked that question, something happened in my heart that was very surprising. My son's simple question filled me with a flood of doubt. And in that moment, I was swept away. I mean, maybe God isn't real. That's what I was thinking. Maybe all of this is just made up. I mean, maybe it's crazy to believe in Jesus. I mean, am I crazy to believe that he healed people? That he walked on water? That he raised people from the dead? That he was raised from the dead? You know, we might be slow to admit it, but I'd say all of us struggle with doubt at one time or another. I mean, maybe we doubt that Jesus is even real. We might doubt that Jesus is good. We might doubt that He's worth following. We might doubt that He's even working in our lives. We might doubt that He loves us. And you know, we might expect Jesus to be frustrated with our doubts. I mean, aren't we supposed to be people of faith? Right? Aren't we supposed to be strong in our beliefs? Aren't we supposed to be steadfast in our trust in Jesus? Surely when we doubt Him, He's got to be frustrated with us. Well, brothers and sisters, we've come to God's Word today. And it's my goal to show us that Jesus is not frustrated with us when we doubt. He welcomes us. He loves us even when we doubt. And He calls us to trust in Him. He calls us to believe that He really is enough for our doubts. To believe that the gospel really is enough for our doubts. So my prayer for us today, when we get swept away in a flood of doubt, that Jesus' grace, even for doubters, would be enough for us to trust Him deeply. So I want us to see in our passage two simple truths. Jesus is enough and the gospel is enough, even when we doubt. So let's look to the first one. Jesus is enough even when we doubt. So Luke has just shown us the power and the compassion of Jesus. We saw that last week. Jesus' power was displayed when he healed a centurion servant who was sick. His compassion was displayed when he raised a widow's son from the dead. 
And the news of these two miracles spread throughout all the region, and that news eventually landed on the ears of John the Baptist. Now, John was in prison. Herod had put him in prison because John was calling him out for his sin. But that didn't stop people from coming and sharing the news with John about what Jesus was up to. And then John does something surprising in our passage here. He sends two of his disciples to go deliver a question for Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? You see, we find John here in a moment of weakness, in a moment of doubt. And this is surprising to us because John has been a hero of the faith. I mean, he was set apart in his mother's womb. I mean, he even leapt in his mother's womb when when Mary, the mother of Jesus, drew near. I mean, he was born to be the prophet of the Most High God. He was called to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. He was filled with the Word of God to preach repentance. He was filled with the Spirit of God to lead this renewal movement at the Jordan River. I mean, he baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit come upon Jesus like a dove. He heard the Father speak from heaven over Jesus. He proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God. He confessed, I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. And he declared, He must increase and I must decrease. I mean, John was just about as confident in Jesus as anyone could be. Until this moment. You see, in this moment, he was filled with doubt. You see, Jesus wasn't quite what John had expected. Or John, yeah, he wasn't what John was thinking. And in Luke 3, 17, John said that Jesus was going to come and bring judgment upon the, the, God's enemies. But Jesus looks less like a judge and more like a physician. And really, on top of all that, here is John stuck in prison knowing that he's probably going to die there. I mean, didn't Jesus come to proclaim good news to the captives? To set those who are in prison free? And so John is thinking, where's the judgment? Where's the deliverance from our enemies? Where is the freedom for those in prison? And so in a moment of doubt, he questions Jesus. When John's disciples find Jesus, they they ask this question, Are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another? You see, John wanted to know if Jesus really was the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. And so Luke tells us in verse 21 that Jesus just continues to heal people. And he says, Go and tell John all the things that you've seen. The blind see and the lame walk. The the deaf hear and the lepers are cleansed. The good news is preached to the poor. You see, Jesus is stringing together about three different passages from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is telling John, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the one who was to come. And I'm here to bring healing and restoration in the Lord's favor. Yes, John, I am the Messiah. I want us to notice a few things from the first part of the story that's going to help us when we struggle with doubt too. Notice how John goes to Jesus with his doubts. 
He has doubts and he goes to Jesus. So many people want to pull away from Jesus when they have doubts. They turn to the wisdom of the world or they seek to the wisdom from their friends who don't know Jesus. Or they try to find answers to their doubts apart from Christ. But not John. He's having doubts, yes, but his doubts are driving him to Jesus. I mean, he could have just given up, right? He could have just started looking for someone else without sending his disciples to Jesus. But even in his doubting, he goes to Jesus. Now, he couldn't physically go to Jesus. He's in prison, but he does the next best thing and sends his disciples. I mean, he wanted to hear from Jesus. He wanted to hear from the mouth of Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? In his moment of doubt, he wanted to hear from Jesus. And so, friends, when you're filled with doubt, the best thing you can do is run to Jesus. Run to his word and Run to Him in prayer. Run to to church and and hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed. Run to a friend who knows Jesus and sit down and say, you've got to tell me about Jesus. Talk to me because I'm struggling here with doubt. You see, don't let your doubts push you away from Jesus. Let your doubts push you toward Jesus. Run to Jesus even in your doubting. Notice also how Jesus responds with mercy to John's doubts. I mean, Jesus could have said, you've got to be kidding me. John, John wants to know if I'm the Messiah? You're telling me the guy that God chose to be the prophet that would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah wants to know if it's me? Jesus could have said, has he lost his mind? What is he thinking? Notice how Jesus doesn't do any of that. He's not shocked. He's not frustrated. Not offended. Doesn't even rebuke John. Instead, he sends these two men back to John and says, just go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. I mean, do you see how Jesus is gentle and patient with John? Do you see how he is kind and gracious? And really, John is not the only doubter that Jesus is going to show mercy to. Thomas was the disciple who refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Remember, he said, unless I see his hands, unless I touch the scars, I will never, I will never believe. And so Jesus shows up gentle and kind. And he shows Thomas his his hands and he says, Thomas. Come touch my hands, touch the scars. Believe. No rebuke, no frustration with Thomas, just mercy for Thomas and his doubting. Jude was another one who doubted. He was one of the half-brothers of Jesus. And the brothers of Jesus were doubters. The Gospel of John tells us that during Jesus' ministry, his brothers didn't believe him. In fact, Mark tells us on one occasion... They said, Jesus is out of his mind. But listen to what Jude says in his letter in verse 22. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Why do you think he would say that? Because he was a doubter. And Jesus showed him great mercy. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with doubt today, Jesus will have mercy on you. 
When you doubt His power, He's gentle. When you doubt His plan, He's patient. When you doubt His goodness, He's kind. When you doubt His love, He is gracious. Jesus didn't cast John the Baptist aside. He didn't leave Thomas. He didn't give up on Jude. And He won't do that to us either. He'll have mercy on us when we doubt. You see, Jesus lived and died and rose again for doubters like John and Thomas and Jude. Doubters like you and and like me. And so, brothers and sisters, run to Jesus with your doubts and you will find mercy. He will show mercy to you. Notice also that Jesus is the answer to John's doubts. Look at verse 22 again. Verse 22. You see what Jesus says to the disciples? Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. You see, Jesus didn't send them back with a lecture for John on why doubting is bad for your faith. He didn't send them back. Let me give you 10 tips on how to deal with doubt in your life. He didn't send them back with some advice on how to make the best of a bad situation. He said, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. Essentially, he's saying, go and tell John about me. You see, Jesus speaks a blessing in verse 23. Look at it there. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, the issue here is Jesus. It's not kind of competing ministry strategies where John and Jesus can't get on the same page. The issue here is Jesus. Will John trust that Jesus really is the Messiah? You see, the issue is will John trust even in prison, even with death coming for him, that Jesus is the one. Blessed is the person who is not offended by Jesus, who beholds the glory of Christ and is not offended. You see, the only answer to our doubts is beholding Jesus. Listen to what Jared Wilson writes in his book, The Imperfect Disciple. He says, when you struggle to believe, beholding is better than behaving. You and I come to Jesus looking for some kind of pick-me-up, and Jesus offers His flesh. We come looking for Jesus, the life coach, when what we really need is His glory. We need to behold Him. You see, behaving will never help us when we doubt, but beholding Jesus will. Beholding Jesus is a lifeline when we're drowning in a sea of doubt. So brothers and sisters, if you're here doubting Jesus today, behold the glory of Jesus. Behold the glory of His power. Behold the glory of His majesty. The glory of His holiness. Behold the riches of His wisdom. Behold the depths of His mercy. Behold the wonders of His love. Behold the Lamb of God who died for you. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah who rose again. Behold the One who is coming again on the clouds. Brothers and sisters, let's run to Jesus with our doubts and let's trust that He will have mercy and let's behold Him. Let's trust that Jesus is enough even when we doubt. That's the first thing we see in our passage. Second, number two, The gospel is enough even when we doubt. 
So after the two disciples of John leave, Jesus turns to the crowd of people and he defends the ministry of John. He reminds the people why they went out to the Jordan River. People didn't go to see the desert scenery. They didn't go to see somebody dressed fancy clothes. They went to see a prophet. And in fact, John was the greatest prophet, Jesus says. He's the one that Malachi spoke of who would prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. John had the privilege of preparing the way for Jesus. And then look what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You see, John had an amazing ministry, but he marked the end of the Old Covenant. It was Jesus who would bring the New Covenant by His blood. And anyone who would believe the good news of the Gospel would have a place in Jesus' kingdom. Notice that there's two very different responses to Jesus here. In verse 29, the people, and Luke tells us, especially the tax collectors, rejoiced at Jesus' words. They had actually gone to John to be baptized. They repented of their sins. But I'm sure they had doubts if that was really enough. Would they need to do it again? What happens if they sinned again? Would there be enough there? You see, people who know the depths of their sin often wonder if they're too bad. I'm sure many of these tax collectors felt like they were too bad for Jesus to accept them. Remember, tax collectors were outsiders. They were seen as traitors and and greedy people who stole money. They had terrible reputations. But as we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus welcomes these kind of people. He accepts even tax collectors. And I mean, that's the point of the Gospel, right? No one is too bad for Jesus. No sin is too bad for Jesus. No one's too sinful to be forgiven by Christ. And so the people, especially the tax collectors, rejoiced at the baptism of John. It worked. In a sense, God was right in sending John to prepare them for Jesus. You see, even the worst of sinners is greater than John the Baptist in a kingdom where grace reigns. But notice the response of the religious leaders. Luke tells us that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose. They refused to be baptized by John. They refused to humble themselves and repent. You see, people who know the depths of religion often think they're too good. These religious leaders saw themselves as too good. Too good for John and and too good for Jesus. And so Jesus tells us a little parable here about these religious leaders. They're like children in the marketplace. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge. That's a wedding song, or sorry, a funeral song. We sang this funeral song and you did not weep. If Jesus were here today, he would say, we played the cha-cha slide and you didn't dance. And we sang tears in heaven and you didn't cry. You see, Jesus is saying these religious people, they're never happy. John the Baptist lived like a monk and they said, you've got a demon, brother. Jesus liked a good dinner party and they said he's a glutton and a drunkard. 
But in verse 35, Jesus says, Wisdom will be justified by all her children. Meaning, in the end, we will see who's right. And it's those who choose the wisdom of God by accepting the good news of the gospel who will be right. So, okay, so what does all of this have to do with us? Well, I think we can face these same temptations too. We can doubt the gospel in our lives too. You see, we can think that we're either too good for the gospel and that we don't need it, or we can think that we're too bad for the gospel and it will never work in our lives. Jay Bridges says this in his book, Transforming Grace. He says, Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need for God's grace. You see, the reality is that we are never too good or too bad for the gospel. When we think one of those things, that we're either too good or too bad, then we're doubting the power of the gospel in our lives. So here's what that might look like in in my life. There are days where I'm doing great as a follower of Jesus. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm loving my wife well. doing dishes. I'm folding laundry at home. Loving my boys well. Setting a good, godly example for them. Leading some great spiritual conversation over the dinner table. I'm helping them with homework. I'm leading the killer family devotion at night before bed. And on those days, I still desperately need the grace of Jesus. I need the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, even when I'm having a good day. And then there's other days where I'm just a mess. Maybe I've not read my Bible all week. I haven't prayed much. I'm selfish and I don't want to serve my wife. I get frustrated with my boys. Setting a poor example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Irritated with them. I'm distracted by my phone. Distant from my wife. And on those days, the grace of Jesus is enough for me. The life and the death And the resurrection of Jesus is enough even when I'm failing as a follower of Jesus. I mean, the truth is that we are sinners on our good days and our bad days. And the good news is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Like you and like me. Notice how the religious leaders condemn Jesus in verse 34. They call him a glutton and a drunkard. This is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 21. There's a law that what what a family was supposed to do with a rebellious son. They were to bring the son before the elders of Israel. They were to say this, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And the punishment for that son, if the elders agreed, would be death. You see, the Pharisees knew Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And here they are accusing Him of being the rebellious Son. A glutton and a drunkard. Someone who deserves death. But the truth is, they're actually the rebellious sons. They're rejecting Jesus 
as the Messiah. They're rejecting the grace of God. The truth is we're all the rebellious sons. We've all rejected God and we all deserve the punishment of death. But there's a twist in the story and that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. You see, right after that law in Deuteronomy 21 about a rebellious son who's a glutton and a drunkard, the very next law talks about any man who's hung on a tree is cursed by God. You see, Jesus is the faithful son, but he takes the punishment of the rebellious son and he dies on the cross in their place. Jesus bears the curse on the cross so that we might be forgiven and we might be accepted into God's kingdom. Jesus died to save sinners who think that they're too good for his grace and to save those who think they are too bad for his grace. Friends, the gospel is enough for us today. So maybe you're here today and you're standing on the outside doubting the power of the gospel. Maybe you think that you're too good to need God's grace. Maybe you think that you're too bad and there's no way that God could ever love you or forgive you. Friends, Jesus lived and died and rose again for any sinner who would repent and trust in Him. And so if you've never done that, would you do that today? Would you let today be the day that you turn from your sins and you turn to Jesus and you believe for the first time? You believe that He lived a perfect life in your place and died on the cross, the death that you deserve, and rose again so that you might have forgiveness of your sins. So why not bring your doubts to Jesus and believe in the good news for the first time today? Confess your sins to God. Believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again. And you'll be saved. You'll have a seat in the kingdom of God. You could do that today. You could do that right now. Crawl out to Jesus and He'll save you. He saves anyone who trusts in Him. And really, that's what Jesus wants of all of us today. He wants us to trust Him. You see, the good news of the gospel isn't just our ticket out of hell and our into heaven someday. The gospel is for us here and now, today and tomorrow and the next day. The gospel is enough for your struggling marriage. The gospel is enough when parenting is so hard. The gospel is enough when addiction seems so strong. The gospel is enough when loneliness is overwhelming. It's enough when we doubt the mercy of Jesus. It's enough when we doubt the grace of Jesus, when we doubt even the love of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, do not reject the grace of Jesus because you think that you're too good. And do not reject the grace of Jesus because you think that you're too bad. There is hope in a crucified Savior. His perfect life is enough. His death on the cross is enough. His resurrection is enough. So don't doubt the gospel today thinking that you're too good for it. And don't doubt the gospel thinking that you're too bad for it. And if you're here today doubting the gospel, remember that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He died to save sinners. And He welcomes sinners into His gracious kingdom. So brothers and sisters, let's cling to the good news of Jesus because it's enough to save us and to help us even when we doubt.
And so there I was. I'm sitting at this dinner table. I'm drowning in this sea of doubt because my son asked me, why is God real if we can't see him? And the only hope for me was Jesus. And so I reminded myself in that moment that he is enough. I reminded myself that the gospel, the gospel is enough. And I found by the grace of God the faith to rest there. I left with a commitment to trust Jesus and the good news of his life and his death and his resurrection. And when I have moments of doubt or seasons of doubt, Jesus is there. And again, I run to him with my doubts. And again, he shows mercy to me when I doubt him. And he calls me to behold his glory. And when I feel too good on my good days, he reminds me just how much I need his grace. And when I feel too bad on my bad days, he reminds me that his grace is enough. And he calls me to trust him. So brothers and sisters, Jesus today is calling us to trust him. He's calling us to walk by faith, to run to Jesus, to to rest in his mercy, to behold his glory. He's calling us to trust in the power of the gospel. The power of his perfect life and the power of his sacrificial death. The power of his glorious resurrection. And so when we face moments of doubt or when we face seasons of doubt, may we always remember that Jesus is enough. His gospel is enough. And the blessed life is found for those who push through the doubts to find faith. In Jesus. He's the anointed king. He's the crucified savior. He's the friend of sinners. And he's the one who has more than enough love and mercy and grace to help us when we doubt. So let's trust in that. Let's trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we we thank you that someone as confident and mighty and strong and unwavering as John the Baptist, even in a moment of weakness, doubted Christ. And so that comforts us because we know that we too face those moments of weakness. And all of our confidence and all of our strength At times we doubt. In times we're weak. At times we're struggling to hold on to Christ. So God, may we trust today that He is enough. May we run to Him when we doubt. May we rest in the mercy that He has for doubters. And may we behold His glory as the only thing that will help us when we doubt. May we remember on our good days that we still desperately need the gospel, the grace of Jesus. And may we on our very worst days remember that His grace is enough. His life and His death and His resurrection was enough to save us, to forgive us, and to cleanse us. So God, I pray for 
those here today who don't know Jesus, may they believe in the gospel today for the first time. Repent of their sins, run to Jesus and trust in Him alone to be saved today. Now to pray for those who are doubting, maybe even in this moment. Doubting if all of this is even real. Or doubting if God really has a plan to bless us and to do good for us. Doubting the power of the gospel to overcome their sin or their sadness or their suffering or their temptations. Lord, would you comfort us in our doubting? Would you remind us that the good news is enough, that Jesus is enough? Lord, we do believe. God, would you help our unbelief? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.